Hello and welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar, and in for Mike Newton this week is Ernie Furt of BDO Canada. Ernie, welcome back. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Nice to be here with you. And today we're going to talk about big and tall menswear with a young man out of Chabonel, Chabonel District, who's really creating a lot of buzz in the space right now in Canada. Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. He's a good speaker, it's my understanding. He's excellent. His name is Marzad Lowry, the co-founder of Wide the Brand, and his mission is quite simply to make big and tall menswear fashionable. And uh, he'll talk to us in just a few minutes, and we'll talk about HR as well, some of the basics of HR for small and medium-sized businesses. Mia Baruki, our senior advisor at BDO Canada, joins us later in the show to give you some advice on that. But first, let's talk about news and notes. And um, because our entrepreneur today uh, from Wide the Brand, you can check out their website. They're very strong on on content marketing. So I figured we'd begin there today, Ernie. It's it's what I do, and it's uh, I'm a big believer in it, especially when there is education to be done. And that's where articles, blogs, even social media uh, can have a, uh, an important effect. You guys do social media a lot to highlight your media appearances. You were on with Andrew Carter recently, uh, I heard, Ernie. Um, what's, your, what's your interaction with social media? Do you go on LinkedIn a lot to, to talk about uh, some, some issues? I go on LinkedIn. I don't talk about a lot of issues because, you know, we're, uh, I'm going to talk about the issues that pertain to my expertise. So I'm not going to go out of my space or stay out of, I, I don't want to stay in anybody's lane. I want to stay in my own at the end of the day. LinkedIn is a great space for, for you or for anyone in the, in the business community. Uh, this is a piece highlighting um, some emerging social platforms to watch in 2023, five of them, this from Inc.com that could impact your business. I'll read them quickly and you tell me if you've heard of them, Ernie. Let's talk about Be Real. Have you heard of Be Real? Yeah, Be Real, I think it's a photo app, if memory serves. Indeed, it's a bit different. It kind of forces you to do everyday mundane posts, sharing moments of your life, instead of sort of trying to do that high engagement uh, influencer, overly prepared thing. And Be Real is, uh, they, they advertise authentic content. So giving people a glimpse of your day to day. Yeah, and there's another one that I heard of in this list. It's the only other one that I heard of, which is Mastodon. Yeah, so Mastodon is interesting. It is the answer to Twitter. Unlike Twitter, it is more decentralized, and so you have a bunch of little different Twitter networks. It's struggling. It's not really taking off. It was sort of gaining gaining in popularity as an objection to sort of uh, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter and all that. The problem with Mastodon is that it's when you're decentralized, you're not centralized, right? So you're not hitting the maximum amount of users you can, and therefore you have to go in there and find your particular community, figure out what the rules are. It's very complicated and um, not such a, a wide social network. What about Post? Um, have you heard of Post, Ernie? No, I have not. I actually, I joined Post briefly, and I may build it out a little bit. It's it's blogging, but more long form. So unlike Twitter or Facebook, Post encourages you to post long form, meaningful conversations, especially around uh, the news publishing business. And uh, if you are someone who's interacting with media a lot and making media arguments, uh, political arguments, Post might be uh, the one for you. And of course, the one that everyone's talking about is is TikTok. And I think it's worth spending a couple minutes um, on TikTok. What are your views there, Ernie, is that something that's that's that you that's in your universe? Do you is it on your radar? Uh, no, it's not. I'm, I'm not a big social media guy, but you know, my, my my kids are on TikTok. 
And if your kids are on TikTok, you may want to have the conversation about uh, where where their data is going. And certainly businesses are going to want to consider that as well, especially after the federal government uh, banned TikTok on its devices recently and many in the private sector will certainly follow suit. So I think for business also, TikTok is a, is a weird one. So if you're having a TikTok strategy, and I wouldn't recommend that you have one necessarily for reasons that I'll get into in a second, but if you do have one, you may wanna zero in very specifically on your micro niche, so the niche within your niche. And that I think is, seems to be how people are getting famous on TikTok. However, it's worth noting the major issue with TikTok, and it's that's its owner. What kind of problems that pose for entrepreneurs? Well, we don't know. We, we just don't know. And so I what I advise my clients is that to, to not really think of a TikTok strategy, but a social media video strategy more globally, and to share those videos on several platforms, including TikTok if, you, if it matches up with your demographics, but also Instagram and Facebook proper, and Twitter, and certainly LinkedIn if you're within the business community. So having a video strategy, I think, is important these days, especially if you're consumer facing. But having a TikTok strategy, I might wanna hold back on that. Do be conscious of what you put into data, what you put into any social network, and know that what you put in might be going somewhere that you don't expect. It's once it's out there, it's out there. Lastly, I wanna devote some time to another, um, uh, not a social network, but a research tool that is making a lot of news and is helping content marketing, and that is ChatGPT. Ernie, have you used ChatGPT? Uh, what do you know of it? What do you think? I have not used it. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Uh, it's an AI, it's an AI piece. So, you know, we, we don't use a lot of AI. We're starting to use more AI. You know, being in a conservative business, bit by bit, we're, we're starting to use the AI. So we will get there, but it's just going to take a lot of time. I'll share my experience with ChatGPT. So it's run by a company called OpenAI. It is a, it's backed by Microsoft and some other big tech leaders, which is why we're now seeing OpenAI being incorporated into Bing, which is Microsoft's search engine. Uh, it wasn't doing tremendously well for a long time, Bing. It was losing quite handily to Google. But now this is Microsoft's bet to level the playing field a little bit in the search game. So basically it's an interface and you can ask ChatGPT questions and it does the research for you and it produces text. So it can produce uh, various answers on a wide array of topics. And uh, it does have some important limitations though. So I think ChatGPT is really useful as a, re as a preliminary research tool but you definitely do not want to publish anything that ChatGPT spews out uncritically without reviewing it carefully and certainly without editing it heavily to make sure that's not construed as plagiarism. The, the, my experience was a bit weird. I asked it to produce a column for me, like a newspaper column. I used to write almost weekly about Quebec politics. So I said, write me a column about the year in, uh, in language laws in Quebec. So the first time it spat out a column about Bill 21 which many of our listeners at CJD know, of course, is not related to language at all. It's just wrong. So it's just, it's just something else. So the, I went back to it and I said, no, that's wrong. It apologized to me and then did a better version the second and then the third time. And I took the third, the third version and it's on our, our company website if you want to check it out at tnkr.ca. So it was my exercise to, um, to see if ChatGPT could recreate me. And it didn't do a great job. I would describe the, the, the text that came out as somewhere between a high school and maybe at most a soft, sophomore kind of level, uh, but certainly nothing you want to rely on for your content marketing. But is it a tool that you can use in the preliminary research phases as you sort of slowly build the content marketing? Can it help you save some time here and there, uh, cutting corners on uh, little bits of information that aren't necessarily 
um, published publicly, yeah, it can it can definitely do that. It can it can have a lot of interesting use uses for it. And Ernie, while we're here, let's ask ChatGPT something, and and let's see if if you're impressed by it. Okay, Ernie, what would you like to ask ChatGPT? Um, when you invest in a business, should you buy shares or assets? Okay, so Ernie, I'm going to read out the answer now. And for our radio audience, we're going to leave the full answer for the podcast because we have, we're limited on time. But it starts like this. The decision to buy shares or assets when investing in a business depends on your investment goals, risk tolerance, and the specific circumstances of the business. If you buy shares of a company, you become a partial owner of the business and share in its profits and losses. Buying shares can be a good option if you believe the company's stock price will increase over time and if you want to benefit from capital appreciation. However, buying shares also comes with a certain risks, uh, such as market volatility and the potential for a company's stock price to decrease. On the other hand, if you buy the assets of a business, you acquire specific physical or intellectual property assets, such as real estate, equipment, patents, or trademarks. Buying assets can be a good option if you are interested in acquiring specific assets and potential revenue that they generate. This approach may be more suitable for investors who are interested in acquiring a business's assets, but not necessarily its ongoing operations. Almost done. In some cases, it may be possible to buy both the shares and the assets of a business, which could provide more uh, comprehensive investment opportunities. So what do you think of it? I think it's quite generic uh, and, and gives you some basic points and is quite pedestrian in its, uh, in its answers. When you're buying the shares, you're you're actually buying the assets underneath the shares of the entity. So you're buying the entire entity when you're buying the shares. So the assets come with. Ernie, don't question the superhuman AI. It, it finishes now. <laughs> now. Ultimately, the decision to buy shares or assets should be based on a careful analysis of the business of your investment goals. It may be helpful to consult with a financial advisor or investment professional like Ernie Furt to determine the most appropriate investment strategy. What it actually think, mentions my name. That's fantastic. No, I, I added that. Oh, in. sorry. I thought it did. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering potentially if we're giving it more of a specific type question instead of a general question, if it would perform better. Let's test it out. Give me a specific uh, Canadian tax question. Discuss the principal residence exemption in Canada. ChatGPT says the principal residence exemption PRE in Canada is a tax benefit that allows Canadian taxpayers to exclude the capital gains from the sale of their principal residence from their taxable income. The PRE is a powerful tax-saving tool that can help Canadian homeowners reduce or eliminate their capital gains liability when they sell their home. To qualify for the PRE, property must be meet certain criteria. First, uh, must be a per principal residence, which means it must be owned and occupied by the taxpayer or their family member for at least one year. Secondly, the taxpayer can only designate one property as their principal residence for any given tax year if the tax it goes on and on, but seems to have the basics. It does have the basics, but one thing it did not say is who the taxpayer is, that the taxpayer has to be an individual. The taxpayer can't be a corporation. It just mentioned taxpayer, taxpayer, taxpayer. Overall, the principal residence exemption in Canada is a valuable tax benefit that can help Canadian homeowners reduce their tax liability when they sell their principal residence. It's important to understand the eligibility criteria and consult with a tax professional to ensure that the exemption is being claimed correctly. It's not really saving any, us any, any time there if we have to consult the professional anyway. No, exactly. At, at the end of the day, there's a, there seems to be a caveat at the back end of every uh, of all these answers. Okay, so obviously a little bit more analysis is needed in terms of chat GPT. Um, lastly, Ernie, let's get back to some more real world issues now. And on the subject of technology, a Canadian employee is demanding more flexibility. This is from Human Resources Director Magazine. 
but will it hurt their career progression? We talked about this uh, recently with Mike, and uh, even major leaders in the Canadian public service are saying that it's time to get back to work um, or else it could harm people's careers. Back to the office, rather. You have to realize over the past couple of years with COVID, things have started to evolve. And the evolution is going towards the managers of the organizations as well. So the old school managers think that you won't succeed in in a virtual environment. The new school managers who are coming along are going to say, well, you can exceed in either way. So the question is, they're going to change their ways of doing things. And if you want a young and innovative company, you will go to, to a company which has you know, newer type managers because hybrids in the, in a, in a great demand, people want the flexibility, even though Mike hates the word work-life balance, uh, people want it. Okay. You know, they, uh, people will have futures in the companies, regardless of whether they're in person or, we, uh, or whether they're virtual. And if more people want virtual, you're going to have the virtual employee and the virtual manager and the virtual success story at the end of the day. It's interesting that there's the perception about the effectiveness of uh, virtual work is, of course, differing um, uh, between employees and employers. Uh, in this report that's cited by uh, HRD Mag, 79% of employees uh, say their work has improved. 49% of employers say their employees' work has improved. That, that, everything is in the perspective of the individual who, who was evaluated. At the end of the day, if the employees have more freedom and, and, and they're doing the work that they believe they should be doing, they think they're working better. The, the, the employer is going to look at it and, and, and it's going to be more results driven. Is it okay? Fine. What did you give me? You know, have you given me the same kind of stuff that you would have given me uh, in the office? You know, the only thing where I'm, where I'm kind of leery is the training aspect of things. I find it difficult, maybe because I'm older, uh, to do all the online training as opposed to having a session in between people and and having discussions amongst yourselves. And you learn, I think you learn better sometimes in groups and group environments because misery loves company and you really don't have that company online. That's just me. Let's get to our profile for today. And I love good, honest writing on a website. And this is what our entrepreneur writes about his own struggle to find clothes that fit him. Call it genetics, a lack of exercise, a love of food, call it whatever you like. The truth is, I've always been the heaviest kid in school, he writes. Add to that the fact, he writes, that the only clothes that fit me were pieces from the big box stores. So he decided to do something about it. Marzad, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal. Thanks so much for having me. And Ernie, we're talking about big and tall clothes today. Yeah, well, that's something close to my heart. And we're talking about big clothes today. We're not talking about tall clothes. I don't think Marzad has any tall clothes per se, in, 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 from what I looked at the, where, uh, the the website, are there any tall our, clothes? Yes, yeah, so our clothes are actually built for uh, wide, rounder, specific proportions, which makes the clothes be able to dress guys up to six foot four, six foot five, because it's not pulling or rising. And our pants are all 34 inseam, so you can adjust them to your length. So we dress very tall guys, as well as regular size guys. We're jumping right into it here, but first, Marzad, we have to go with the definition. What is Wide the Brand? 
Yeah, so Why the Brand is actually a, a company we launched uh, uh, just under two years ago. Uh, it's a destination for plus-size men. So uh, we create clothes here in Montreal, designed and produced right here. Uh, and we create clothes that are specifically built for our wide men and their unique lifestyles. Uh, so clothes that are uh, on-trend, classic, uh, beautifully tailored, beautifully de designed and produced, uh, and that give our men confidence, pride, and uh, offer collections that are contemporary and uh, in, in tune with what's going on in the fashion industry, uh, specifically for wide men. Ernie, you're a stylish gentleman. I, ha I couldn't help but notice how stylish these clothes are. We're really taking it to the next level. They're really nice. And there's one element, there's free shipping when you buy over 150 bucks. So you have to know that as well, because I, I, mean, I definitely looked at that. And, you know, you did, you said two years ago. Now, two years yeah. ago was COVID. What got into your mind to do this in the middle of COVID? This was our COVID baby. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, we were at home. We were chilling like everyone was at home, uh, just trying to figure out what uh what we were going to do and uh me and my team come from a fashion background we all worked in the fashion industry and other industries as well but majority of our experience comes from the fashion industry and that we you know i knew that there was a um very big gap in the market when it came to plus size menswear having experienced the lack of choices myself uh and so we thought, why not? Let's see if there's a response out there. So what we did initially is we launched a Kickstarter campaign. That is what launched this entire endeavor because we wanted to see, was there a community out there that was willing to maybe get behind what we wanted to offer as a brand and as an idea? And we managed to raise $52,000. Our, our goal was 50 in 30 days. And a few days later, we were going on Dragon's Den Canada to pitch the pre-revenue company to the Dragons. And we ended up getting a deal with Arlene Dickinson. And it was just one thing led to another. And it just became um, this uh, idea started from our living room and then became this mission that was backed by a community of real wide men that just we bonded with. And then it became slowly, slowly what it is today. Marzad, I want to come back to the fashion for a sec because you tell your own story on your website. It's 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 pretty touching, and you and you say you know there's there was probably a lack of 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 desire to incorporate fashion forward stuff in the big and tall space uh, originally. Um, a lot of people had to rely on the big box stores or taking things out of a crate in the middle of a big box store. We can do better than that. Of course, yeah, and that's really the 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 premise of what why the brand really stands for is like we don't want the garments that we're offering to our wide men to be an afterthought. It, for for too long, the plus size industry has been an afterthought of the regular size industry or an extension of the regular size industry, but they're not taking into account fit. They're not taking into account fabric, the way our customers live their lives, the way our customers move, um, and also, just because people are plus size does not mean that they do not crave inspiration, that they don't crave beauty, that they don't crave uh, a sense of belonging, a sense of 
normalcy, if you will. You know, there's no reason for plus size garments to be different than regular size garments. The only thing that should be different is the fit and the proportions. But we want the same elevation when it comes to styling, branding, communications, editorials. And that's what where we came in is we wanted to offer the luxury fashion experience from a communications and branding standpoint to our clients uh, that urgently craved it. Now, there's certain things that are different when you put together a garment for a larger man than you put together a garment for a not-so-large man. Mm -hmm. What is that? And you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. so there's so much that's different. And, and you know, I our, our team goes... Like when we're developing a collection, a lot of the times we'll start with what are the frustrations that I would go through as a plus size man? Like, like we would, we want to really highlight those frustrations and then be like, hey, well, how can we fix them? But also how can we elevate pieces that maybe already exist in the market to make them more comfortable for our lifestyle? And so let's say one of the first missions we had was to make a dress shirt that didn't require buttons because what I hated the most was sitting in a dress shirt and having the buttons gape at the front or pop or having all that technical issue. So we came up with our slip on sewn seam dress shirt. So our dress shirts, you simply slip on and they have three buttons at the top, but there's no buttons at the, at the, the front of the garment. So it's like it's wearing a shirt, but we had to then sit down with our pattern maker and design an entire pattern that would accommodate that type of development, right? Um, our pants, let's say, are completely stretched. So fabric is a huge thing, you know, you can't, um, rounder bodies don't move the same way as traditional, more slender bodies. So we had to work, uh, we had to add a dimension, which is movement and how do the, the garments move? And so we create, we decided to work with mills in Italy and here in France uh, and in, uh, in Quebec and in France to see how do we come up with, with fabrics that move, that can stretch, but that will come back that are manly because you don't want, you know, you don't want, feminine fabrics necessarily all the time you want you know we are a menswear brand and a lot of stretch fabrics can tend to be a little thinner so we came up with different uh solutions to create garments that really fit not just the bodies of our men but their lifestyle and so development is really key when it comes to why the brand and to why um we are so different one thing about uh, the market, uh, I'm wondering why this is not more popular. There are a few big box brands, I guess, in, in this space, but high fashion. I mean, that's 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 a bit more rare. What are your thoughts on uh, on uh, I guess uh, the lack of high fashion brands when the population is certainly there for to to meet that demand? Um, so, I think the, I think it comes down to the reality of. Um, it not being easy. It's not an easy market and it's not an easy product to produce. Like the reality is most uh, seamstresses and most production companies and most people who are working behind the scenes are used to producing garments from extra small to extra large. And when you come in with extra large or large to 6XL, um, the, the way to, to, to seam the garments is not the same way. The, the, it's just a different approach. So if you're having teams in traditional fashion houses that are used to designing for regular sizes and you're expecting them to then also be able to design and produce for 
uh, larger sizes, it's almost like lose-lose. Like it's, it's, it's almost impossible. So I think that when we talk about, let's say, inclusion and when we talk about diversity, I think that also has to be like, you know, it has to be implemented in the teams that are designing and creating these, these, these collections and these garments. Because if not, it's too easy to just say, well, the fashion industry isn't following suit. But yeah, there, there has to be a movement. There has to be teams put in place, structures put in place. And then again, there also has to be an audience to receive the garments. So for the longest time, we've for the last 10 to 15 years, we've been focusing on plus size women's wear. And we've been evolving. We've evolved enormously in plus size women's wear. Plus size menswear is very new. This discussion, big and tall is not new. It's been here for years, but it's always been a few dress shirts, a few t-shirts, a few shorts, and that's it, right? Um, and But I don't think men were vocal enough about the, the, the their desire to want better clothes either. So now we're in a place where we're talking about men in the plus size space. We're talking about inclusion. We're talking about diversity. And I think our guys are now also ready to have better options. So I think it's a question of timing as well. Um, but I think now we're at a place where people are ready to have those conversations. Marzad, let's talk about, about men. You are focusing on men. Uh, you mentioned that there, there was a demand, I suppose, which is why you're deciding to focus mostly on men. Are you thinking about female fashion or do you feel that there's, there's enough out there to serve the market? Uh, it's a very good question. So traditionally, I am a women's wear designer, uh, and my background is in women's wear. So when we decided to launch Wide the Brand, it came from a place of need and a little less of a place of want. Uh, we realized that there really was a gap in the market and a, a need for quality, stylish, um, uh, plus-size menswear, um, which is why we decided to launch Wide the Brand that way. And as we launched, the question kept on coming up in our heads and in the and in the questions of our clientele like you know a lot of the girlfriends and the wives of our guys will would ask us you know are, when are you guys launching uh why the brand for women and i think that the notion of our you know the premise of our company is we are exclusively for plus size men and i think that there is a certain level of um of you know expectation that comes out of that we are a company that decided to have a mission that is focused on menswear uh, we love the women's wear space don't get me wrong but for the last 10 to 15 years we've been evolving in women's wear for in the plus size section of the industry and i think that now it's grand time that we do the same uh you know we put the same attention for men. So for the moment, why the brand will uniquely be focusing on menswear for the next few years is a women's wear collaboration capsule, uh, you know, impossible. No, nothing's impossible because we are a, we're fashion designers. So you never know what you're going to get with us. But the reality is right now we're focusing on our wide men and what they need. And we still are we haven't even started our mission. You know, two years in, we're at the very, very beginning. So we still have so much more that we want to focus on. Um, so if in the, if, you know, in in the immediate future, I'd say no. Yeah, I see that you're selling on, uh, off of your website, but are you doing any wholesale at all? So we actually are at, our denim line is at Grover in uh, Verdun, okay. which is a plus size menswear store that we love. Um Here's the thing. When we launched Wide the Brand, we launched a 100% direct-to-consumer business model. So 
Producing in Montreal, producing high quality garments, of course, there is a price attached to that. And the reality is right now, we don't have the margins on every product to be able to go into every store. It is something that we want to get to because we understand that uh, online can be a barrier for some people and some people like to shop in person, which is why we opened the studio up to all of our customers who can come and shop on appointment at the studio in Chabanel. But it is a, a, you know, a desire to keep on growing our presence uh, in person with select wholesalers. But at the end, we are a direct-to-consumer company. Um, but we are working on getting products that we can put into store uh, in the next few months. Let's talk a bit about the your design environment. Um, you're at Chabanel, which I think is awesome. I'm seeing a lot of young fashion companies coming back to Chabanel and the vibe there as part of that rejuvenation must be amazing. I'm told as well, you studied under Marie Saint-Pierre, the, fa the famous uh, Quebecois fashion designer. Um, tell me about your, your environment and what inspires you. Yeah, we listen, we love Chavanel. We're so happy to see it be revived the way it is and young designers and young companies uh, and even established companies coming back to the sector and you know, making uh, the sector of District Central and Chabanel so uh, rejuvenated. Um, I did uh, work for over 10 years with Marie St. Pierre. She was my first um, internship in fashion after design school. And I just, uh, I, it was a love affair. So I stayed there and worked my way up. And before leaving in 2020 was the, her collections director. So um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I think that the flair I have as a designer today is in grand part due to the experience that I gained with her um, and, you know, being, uh, you know, at the realm of a fashion house that is so powerful in Canada, but also in North America, uh, a designer that thinks so differently, uh, a design approach that is so unique and so avant-garde. I think that that really helped uh, build the designer I am today. And so I do uh, allocate a lot of my design aesthetics sense uh, sensibility to Marie um, and of course now I get to uh, have my own voice with my own brand and my team so that's pretty exciting. Now you, you mentioned earlier that you had a mission statement what is that mission statement and I remember reading also something on your or, or listening to something on your website about wide labs you want to talk about both of those? Yeah. So our mission statement, uh, we have a few the most important one being confidence for all. So our our job, our main mission as a company is to allow our guys to live a confident life through the armor that they choose. And the first armor we choose every day as human beings is our clothes. Uh, we, they, the way we look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning is kind of the first glimpse of confidence that we have. Um, and we want to give our men a sense of pride, confidence uh, in the way they look, in the way they feel, so that they can do the best they can do and live the best life they can. Um, and when it comes to Wide Labs, that is coming out this year, at the end of this year, it's really our platform of content. You know, content for, by plus-size men, for the plus-size community, let it be lifestyle, fitness, food, journeys, uh, leisure. We want to create a hub of content that is really curated for um, 
for the plus size community because we just think it's lacking and we just think that we have an angle that is different and that is unique to us and so that's what we want to create Let's talk about marketing for a second. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're into content marketing because to me, it's the most educational, valuable form of marketing. I'm biased, of course. But uh, but tell me, about, tell me about the feedback you're getting from your community because I've, I've known some big and tall people in my family. And for many years, it seems like they had to go the custom route and spend a lot of money to be stylish. What, what's been the feedback so far? The feedback so far is pretty humbling in the sense that like, you know, when you're part of a transform the transformation journey, when you look at clients who try on clothes that they love for the first time, I always say like, a lot of times we'll have people that come into the studio or write to us who are trying on the clothes for the first time. And the expression on their face is, oh my God, not like for the first time, I don't have to just buy something because it fits. I can buy things because I like them or not buy them because I don't like them. I have options, you know? And I think that's a little overwhelming at first for plus size men because a lot of times we're shopping out of necessity and not out of desire. And for the first time with a collection like Wide and other companies that are starting to thankfully pop up on the scene, plus size men have options. So it's no longer just shopping out of necessity. It's really shopping out of the desire to you know, want to look a certain way and have an aesthetic and have fun with fashion. So it's uh, it's it's still very overwhelming. The response, even after two years, you'd think you'd get used to it, but I don't think I'll ever get used to um, looking at guys feel so confident. Marvelous. I'm going to make an appointment. I'll definitely come you and should. see you. Okay, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, and uh, I have lots of friends. And uh... Bring them over. Bring them over. I think that's just a lovely sentiment. Shopping out of uh, out of desire instead of necessity. Um, do you, do you feel some days that you're that this product was overdue? And uh, where where are you heading in the future? How can you expand the brand, and where do you want to expand it to? Yeah, I mean, to answer your question about being overdue, yeah, I think it was way overdue. Um, and we're so happy that we're here and that you know we're doing what we do every day um, for the expansion of the company. What we're looking at, so we focused on Canada mainly from the very beginning, uh, Quebec and Canada uh, being two very different markets. But you know we're we're focusing on Canada, and in the next two to three years, our mission is to focus on the states. So we are now building. We've built our foundation for the last two years. We keep we're continuing to build the foundation of our company. Uh, fashion is a very difficult business. It's not an easy business um, to navigate. That being said, we also dis we, we're not only distributing, but we also design and manufacture, and so local production. And so it, it's it's a company it's that's that has a lot of uh, vectors when it comes to um, you know its everyday operations. And so we're looking to keep on solidifying our foundation to be able to then really go and expand into the States in the next two to three years and become the reference for plus size menswear in North America. Marzad Lowry, uh, such a pleasure to speak to you today. Best of luck. And we're actually going to hang on to you for a few more minutes. We'll have your one piece of advice to inspire entrepreneurs coming up in a little while. But coming up next, we're going to speak to our expert, Mia Baruki, talking about HR, especially in small and medium-sized businesses. Mia Baruki, the senior advisor of HR at BDO Canada. Mia, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. And Ernie, we're going from uh, big and tall to small and medium-sized businesses and how HR is an important function for them as well. No matter how big your business is, if you have one employee, you should start thinking about HR. Should you start thinking about HR with one employee? When do you start thinking about HR, Mia? Always. People people is, always, uh, is supposed to always be on your mind. So always. <laughs> 
So what do you keep in mind when you're creating this HR department? For me, it's always um, culture and values first, um, because you want to define yourself. You want to want to tell yourself what type of, of employer do you want to be, uh, what values represent you, and this will help create your brand and attract top talent. And then after that, a really, really important aspect would be uh, the policies, the procedures, uh, the job descriptions, really to put in place that structure around that values and culture you appreciate to have um, an efficient HR foundation. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do in building proper HR plans, and there's a lot of rules and regulations to follow. And, and you know what should the business owner keep in mind when when looking at HR compliance overall? So in Quebec, as you may already know, um, we have the CNESST that regulates all of the labor standards uh, and the health and safety in the workplace. So every employer must make sure that um, they meet the minimum requirements as per the law. Uh, including a harassment uh, policy. That's very important. After that, we have the Pay Equity Act. So as soon as you reach 10 employees or more, you have to comply with um, the Pay Equity Act, which compares uh, women to male uh, job categories to make sure that women are paid to their fair value. After that, the more you grow, the more the, the obligations grow as well. So whenever you reach uh, 2 million in payroll, you have to comply with the 1% training law, so Bill 90, uh, to make sure that at least 1% of your um, total payroll has to be put into uh, trainings. Right. And you know, there's other things that people don't know. They don't know about vacations, aid vacations, how that works, anti-harassment policies. People don't even know about paid holidays for statutory mm-hmm. holidays. They have no clue. You know, How do they find out more about this stuff? So um, you could definitely reach out to us. <laughs> we can help you with all of this, but um, we have the CNESST website also that uh, is a great resource and a tool uh, to see everything that um, that you need to know as an employer, but we could definitely help with that as well. And what's the one thing that you would tell business owners, the one most important thing, the one piece of advice that you would give them? Mm-hmm. So people are at the core of every single company. So take care of your people. Um, and obviously, like I mentioned before, put in structure. People like structure. People like to know where they're going. And I feel like in small businesses, a lot of people uh, are promoted. A lot of employees are promoted based on performance, but not necessarily based on their soft skill and leadership skills. So I would really invest in uh, management training programs to to help them with those leadership, conscious leadership skills. Uh, active listening, uh, emotional intelligence, really to be able to to surround uh, your people and help them grow and give them the tools they need to grow and develop in the company. And one last little thing is, is there anything innovative, something new out there to attract your top talent? Well, attracting talent is really uh, culture, culture-based. Um, you want to have the right tools. You want to be innovative. You want to be... Um, competitive with uh, what you offer as culture, not only necessarily um, whatever you offer monetarily or as a pay, but everything else that comes with it. You want people to be comfortable when they're with you and they want them, you want them to appreciate their working environment. Thank you. That's great. Mia Baruki, Senior HR Advisor with BDO Canada. Thanks, Mia. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And as we come to the end of our program, let's turn to our entrepreneur, the founder of Wide the Brand, Marzad Lowry, and ask him for his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs, Marzad. 
Uh, that's a tough question because I have many pieces of advice I'd like to share. But if I had to just share one, I'd say uh, surround yourself with amazing people. Um, it it's it it takes a village to build a company in 2023. Uh, let it come from a marketing standpoint, distribution, online presence. Uh, you know, just the everyday, uh, you know, organization of it all, I'd say, uh, I have amazing partners in Wide the Brand. I am far from being alone in this. I'm the face of the company, but I am not the company alone. We are an amazing team that help bring this to life every day. And I think that um, the most important advice I'd give to anyone who wants to go into the entrepreneurial route is uh, find partners that you can really trust and help uh, bring your vision to life with, because without it, it's it's not impossible, but it's difficult. Ernie, a great product, long overdue. Your final thoughts? Well, I think it, it is long overdue, and there's not very many places to get this kind of stuff here in Montreal. And Montreal's a big city. So, you know, it, it's about time. We're happy that, that, that it's there to speak uh, for this community. I can. Uh, and uh, look forward to trying it on. Look forward to having you. Marzad Lowry, why the brand? It's called. Thank you so much for your time today. A lot of people cheering you on, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform. And you can log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles going back to 2009. See you next week. Talk.